0: Ooh, welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. I have to tell you something, people. I'm only as hip as my guests, but I'm getting hipper. I got this new single-serve coffee combo from Café valet Their brewers are inexpensive. They're as little as $25 for a brewer that comes with 10 sample coffee packs, or they're just $20 when you use the discount code COOPER. Compared to other single-serving coffee systems, you can save up to $100. Bucks. But with Cafe Valet, I get a great-tasting cup of coffee brewed in just minutes, just the way I like it, and that's every time I make them. So how's that for being hip, hit, people? So go to cafevalet.com and use the code COOPER and save even more. That's right, cafevalet.com, and the coupon code is COOPER to get this combo for just $20. Bucks. And I'm telling you, people, it's a good cup of coffee. And you know, I like my decaf. I drink the decaf and this is good decaf. So uh go there. Cooper. Put in Cooper at CafeValet.com, and you get that uh good deal. And we have a good deal. We we have a we have a guy in here in the studio today, he's a comedian who's now directing movies and uh He's uh, a lot of a lot of stuff going on. I'm glad he's here. It's uh
1: my my guest is Mike Young. How are you doing, Mike? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank no, no, you for having me. No, what's your hat? I I see that this is my high school baseball hat. I was am from Detroit. I was back home playing catch on the high school field with my brother, and we ran into the coach of the like the new coach of the team, and my brother had on his construction company hat, and the coach walked over. He's like, Oh, I like that hat. We're like, oh, we like got any hats? Got got any school hats? So he went in the trunk and got me a fresh new Southfield Latham High School baseball hat. See,
0: that's cool because you know Detroit. Well, I remember years ago when the when the uh, the Tigers. This was years ago when it was uh, Alan Trammell and Oh yeah. and, uh, Whitaker. I had a I had a Tigers hat. I used to wear a Tigers hat in Philadelphia, even though I was a Phillies fan. I wore a Tigers hat.
1: That's a that's a bold move by you. That okay. is a that's a bold move because Phillies. That's a tough town.
0: Yeah, they're AL fans. It's an AL team. We didn't care. The Phillies sucked back then. It wasn't when we were good. We sucked for so long. It's crazy. That's funny. So now, now you grew up in Detroit. Yep. And now, now when did you decide that you wanted to do comedy? I mean, were you? I know I read a little bit about you, like a class clown. But as a, as a little kid, were you funny? Or when did that start developing?
1: I was a little kid who was fascinated with television. So I would watch, as a little kid, like like Mork and Mindy, Happy. I would watch these shows, and I would just always think that I'd want to grow up and write a show. And I started like the, that's that, that was where I started being fascinated with TV. I always thought I, I could write this. I used to think I could predict the dialogue. I was a weird kid. And then I started watching like comedy, Richard Pryor, Rodney Dangerfield, all these comedians and I was always a funny kid in the classroom in the neighborhood, whatnot. And I, I just I was super class clown and I used to always just, dream kind of daydream i was a pretty bad student i'd be in class daydreaming and i always should just think about being a comedian and so it was always i would start by you know doing imitations and like most kids who think they want to be a comedian i'm entertaining the class i'm imitating singers and we you know i'm doing mork for mork for my dad i was just a, a freak of a kid and uh i just always thought i was gonna be a comedian so I went through normal public school system, went to Arizona University for college, never did stand up but always was thinking about it.
0: How did you how did you decide on Arizona? I mean cuz you're a tall guy, were you an
1: athlete at all? I was a well no, my brother actually played football there, but I I got in. That's okay. why, that's why I went. I didn't get into Michigan. I didn't get into Michigan State. I got into Arizona. I went there for a weekend, I checked it out, had a great weekend, obviously, and I ended up going to school there. So, I'd go to school, I went to school in Arizona, you know, always still thinking about I'm going to do comedy one day. Watched all these guys that I knew in Arizona, like, doing, like, local college comedy. I'd always just sit in the back and never did it. I was just too afraid. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know why I didn't do it. But, I'd take a few trips to L.A. because I was already out west. I'd go visit the comedy store. And, long story short, after I graduated and I moved to L.A., I took a job as a you know, production assistant on a for a company and I started just doing open mics. And I just fell in love with stand up and I just, you know, had that epiphany that so many comics do where just this feeling came over me like whether I make it or not I don't know what's gonna happen, but I am gonna I fell in love with the life, the lifestyle and the art and craft of stand up. So I, I was a comedy store guy and still am. So started there, and then just you know always was working on my writing and trying to sell scripts and this and that, and had a few development deals, and you know thought thought when I had de- thought when you had a development deal that you were that you wrote for yourself. I didn't know they already had a staff of writers waiting for you, and you really had no say. So I kind of just I went the route of stand up for a long time, open for Joe Rogan, open for Bob Saget on the road, you know years on the road, and and just always was trying to push my writing push my writing and then uh, eventually I you know and I'm I'm still a comedian to this day and I sound like I'm playing Brea Improv this weekend but eventually people started to take note of my writing and I sold a movie called Grounded that's starring Aaron Paul and Jeff Daniels that I, I did not direct but I sold it to a company called Gilbert Films and that was the first thing that I sold as a writer and then that got made. And then, you know, that, that was seven years ago. And then shortly after that, I wrote My Man is a Loser for an independent company. And I never, I had no idea how to direct. I had no clue. I read a ton of books about it. And I, I, I talked to all my friends that directed. And I shadowed, I went and shadowed a few people. But after I wrote the movie My Man is a Loser, they were actively looking for a director. And I just said to the producers, just on a whim, I said, I can direct this. I promise you 100% I can direct it. And they were friends with Doug Ellen, the creator of Entourage. And they called Doug and they said, can this guy direct? Like, what are we, we're we're about to hire him to direct a $5 million movie. Like, does he know what he's doing? And thank God for Doug, because Doug just had my back and just, he said, absolutely, a monkey could direct this. Of course, he wrote it. So he had my back. I directed My Man is a Loser, and Lionsgate bought it. So it was my first movie, and it was a success for me. And, you know, it, it turned out very, it turned out great, and it's doing fine. And then from My Man is a Loser, the producers from this movie, a stand-up guy, happened to be at my premiere of My Man is a Loser. And so, I, I mean, I'm really obviously, like, condensing the, my... Yeah, no, we're going to talk about right, it. But we're that's, that's kind of how... I have just and now I've just been on the train of writing directing my own stuff for the last few years. And so, you know, the, the producers from a stand-up guy, they were at My Man Is a Loser premiere. They called me afterwards said we loved it. We'd like to hire you for a comedy. Do you have anything? And I had this idea.
0: Now you said, you know, when you moved here, you started doing the stand-up. Now, when did you start actually doing the writing? after that and and what did you you say you got some development deals but were you writing sitcoms then or what were you writing and how did you find the formula because i know years ago when i mean i did comedy back and me and this guy out of new york we wrote a uh, a spec script for mad about you that's how yeah. long ago it was and we had no idea about how you formulate you know we wrote it in screenplay style and back then we had the word the brother word process so it sucked like every two minutes you're pushing return and then you're going shit the tabs are screwing up did you start just start writing with ideas or did you sit there and go okay i mean when you could you know when you write a series were you just thinking about writing spec scripts you were writing pilots or how did that how did your whole writing process start and how did you sit there and you must have been a little bit It's a little scary when you first script.
1: It was very scary, but I went and got all the books. I went and got the Sid Field book on screenwriting. I went and got uh, Robert McKee's book, Story. I went and got Save the Cat. I bought all the screenwriting books so that I would understand what the structure of it was. So I I, I kind of I already understood structure, and I had written in college creative writing. I had done a lot of short story work and stuff that was starting to get recognized by my teachers, who were kind of high level writers. So I knew that I kind of had a knack for at least for storytelling and and at least dialogue, I thought. And so I actually just I went and got all the screenplay books. I started to understand structure and you know what page certain things needed to happen on. And I just started practicing and I would do weird stuff. Like I would like pull up The Godfather and like just write The Godfather, plagiarize for like an hour just to get in the rhythm of like writing a quality script. So that would be my exercise. And then I would just, you know, every day I would just work on my, whatever the script was. So when I had my development deal for a sitcom, it was for as as talent. They didn't even know I wrote. So I go into my first meeting with Warner Brothers and they're like, well, if you have any ideas, just let us know. And I pulled out scripts. I pulled out my own sitcom. I said, here, here's my TV show. This is what I want. And they looked at me like I was literally out of my mind. And there was obviously no way that they were going to do my script. But hindsight, looking back, I wish they would have. Because it probably would have been better than what they tried to pair me up with. You know, they So they obviously had writers that were assigned to me. But I always just... I always just practiced every day I would write and and I just I store I started to just I did it so much that you know now structure is kind of I want I don't want to say second nature because it's always a difficult process it's never easy you know writing is just it's just it's tough except you know when it's flowing it's great but I really just practiced and I just you know studied all the books and I studied all the great scripts that I liked and i you know like I said just it's just practice you know anybody can learn structure i think you have to have a knack for dialogue and characters characters are my strength that's that's my favorite thing is to just dive into somebody's voice and then you know put them with another character and just go at it that's 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 what i love about writing i just i love diving in and then all of a sudden i look up and it's three hours later and i've just you know i got nine pages done or whatever that's that's what i love
0: now, how did the development deals come up? Because they saw you doing stand-up, and they said, "This guy has a good look," or "This guy." I mean, how does it happen? And the first time it happened, it must have been very exciting for you, because you know we all think the same thing. I mean, to be honest. You do comedy. You're doing comedy. If you go out on the road every once in a while, hey, I'm going out on the road. This is great. You never sit there. I mean, I mean, I think you're the type. We we did comedy because of the love. Of it. We didn't sit there. We're not, as I used to say in Philadelphia, you know, we had a group of guys. It was like the group before us was like Keith Robinson and Todd Glass. It was me, Adam McKay, and Paul Tompkins, and John Matter, who now is a writer. And yeah. We just did comedy because we loved it. And if you came in like, I'm an actor, we'd be like, get out. You know, no. this, this, is, this is what it's about. So yeah. you were just doing comedy and loving it. And loving you got You got developed. I mean, someone came up with yeah. you?
1: Yeah. I was in the grind. I was doing the basement shows at the Ramada Inn on La Brea. I was doing you know every, every horrible show you can do. Joe Rogan saw me at the comedy store, thought I was really good, asked me to go on the road, went on the road with Rogan for a year and really got my chops down and just did so many gigs with him and it was just, it was great. So I went at it for the love of comedy. I had no thought in my mind of acting. I'm not a great actor. I put myself in my movies just in little cameos. I don't, you'll never see me doing Shakespeare. I'm not playing a 70 year old, you know, legend of any sort, but. I did it for the love of it, and I got into the Montreal Comedy Festival in 2003 or four, I think it was. So I got into the New Faces category, and I was literally broke. I was broke. I was done, and I had a my last like 2,000 bucks in the bank, and I, I spent 500 of it making a CD. So I'm with Rogan. I record my audio from my Tempe Improv gig. I turn it into a CD album just I just made it up called dropping bombs I put a picture of myself as a baby on a toilet on the cover and I send it into Montreal to try to get in the festival through through a friend and my buddy calls me he goes dude the guy from Montreal loves your comedy CD he wants they want to put you in new faces you'll go to Montreal you'll do 6 minutes of comedy and you'll have three shows whatever they put you up the whole thing I'd never been to Montreal and I go to Montreal and I'm like I'm acting like I'm Rocky Balboa. I'm doing wind sprints in the street. I'm listening to my little six minutes on a dictaphone all day long. I don't want to get a word wrong. I'm trying to perfect this six minutes because in my mind, I'm like, this is the biggest thing I'm ever going to do. I'm stressing myself out. I got headaches in the middle of Montreal. Long story short, I do my first set in Montreal, and it goes pretty well. It doesn't go great. I didn't feel like I crushed it. You know, the Canadian audience was—they were kind of feeling me, but I had a couple really good moments in it. After that set, Warner Brothers Television approached uh, my manager at the time, who was in Montreal, and said, "We want to give this guy a deal." I didn't even know what the hell a deal was. I literally had no money left. My manager calls me that night, like around seven or eight thirty, whatever, after my six o'clock set. He goes, they're going to give you a deal. They're offering seventy-five grand. i am like, get the fuck. Can we swear in here? Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. So you're telling me. This is what I'm saying to him on the phone. <clears throat> you're telling me that I can call home to Detroit and I can say legally that these people are going to offer me $75,000 and I don't have to move back to Detroit right now. Like I, I could, This will be like a job. He's like, call your mom. Tell her you got a deal. Da, da, da. And I'm going to go back for more money. I'm like, no, 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 just take the 75. I don't know anything about anything. So long story short, I get the deal at Montreal with Warner Brothers. You know, they start throwing you know, they think I look like Ben Affleck at the time. So they're like, this guy could be the Ben Affleck of television. So I get my deal, and it's like the best weekend of my life. Literally, I'm celebrating. My brother flies out from Detroit like I just won an Oscar. You know what I mean? He, I'm getting laid by a girl who dances in a cage and doesn't even speak English in Montreal. It's the best weekend of all time. And so that was my first development deal. And so they gave me the deal. And they're like, we're going to build a show around you. We're going to introduce you to writers. But the whole time, I'm thinking to myself, I already know what my sitcom is. I got it in my head and I've already... What was it? I moved back to Detroit and I run my family scrap metal business. Just a natural, you know, evolution of... just a Just a natural, organic story. I go back, I got a neurotic mom. I got a brother who's married to a black woman. It's basically just my life, but I'm going to make it funny. So I already have it written. And nobody tells me anything. I just, okay, I got a deal. I got some money in the bank. I feel great. Meanwhile, you know, after they take taxes out immediately. So what I thought was 75 was like 31,000. I'm so stupid and from Detroit. I, I, I put myself up in the four seasons for three days to double celebrate. <laughs> now I'm down to 12,000. The money's running out. And I go to the first meeting with all the executives. It's a big table and there's like eight of them there. They're excited. I'm the new guy. And they're like, and I didn't even tell my manager that I was going to do this, but I printed up my script. And I had 10 copies of it in my bag. And so they're like, do you have any ideas for yourself for what you might want to like? If we're going to look around for you, do you have any ideas? And I literally pull out 10 scripts out of my backpack <laughs> and I hand them to everybody. And I go, yo, this is my show. You guys are going to love This will be my show. Thank you so much. And my manager looks at me and we got in the elevator after he goes, don't ever fucking do that again. You don't ever. They have writers that are on pay that are being paid to develop for them. You are not writing your own show. But in my mind, I'm thinking I'm better than them. Like how are they going to write my voice better than me? That's where my ignorance was. But obviously I knew something. But so I get my deal. They pay me the money. I don't even go on a single audition for these people. I don't know what the hell the deal was. Nobody for, in Warner Brothers at that for that deal, they never paired me with a writer. Nobody ever wrote a show for me. They just held me for a year and paid me that money. And that was the first development experience I had. And then my mind just started working again. I started going, I have to figure out how to... I got to write for myself. I can't go... The money was great. It was cool. And then... You know, I had two or three more of those deals throughout a 10-year period. I had one at ABC, uh, one at HBO I actually had, and the HBO one I actually wrote. But um, that was the first development deal. That's how I got it. And I just always knew I was going to write for myself, and I was just – I'm a writer, you know, and I'm a performer. I don't think – and comedians, you know, we talk about it, and some some comedians, are, they're so damn lazy with shit – And I always think to myself, we're we're the ones with the power. We're the funny ones. So if you're funny, you're already, you got the power. People need funny. So if people would just learn, if comedians learned structure and like had discipline to write, I think they'd be running things. Like they, you know, like look at guys like Louis C.K. Like Louis, brilliant stand-up, brilliant writer, great director. Like it's all the same thing. It's all, it really is. If you're a stand-up and you got an hour, you're a writer. You wrote an hour.
0: And if, you're, and if you're a comedian, you can also... It's it's easier to go over the board and do the drama parts and write the dramas. I 100%. Mean, I mean, look, at, you know I just watched the show Vinyl, the first episode the show. So HBO. did I. I didn't know it was going to be two hours. Me and my girlfriend were watching it. I thought it was a pilot. I'm like, we watched it yesterday afternoon. And all of a sudden, I'm going, holy shit. I go, okay, it's got to be one of those hour and a half things. And then I'm like, it's a freaking movie. What the hell is going on? But look at Romano. Ray Romano, oh, totally cry. I mean, he's developed... He went from you know everyone was Raymond, then he went to fatherhood, yeah, I mean, not fatherhood, or parenthood. Uh,
1: men of a certain age. Yeah,
0: then parenthood. Yep. They right play, and now this, and that's the thing. Comedians are crossing over constantly, and and you find out what I found out through the show is a lot of like some of these guys you never thought they had done comedy, and you know Busemi used to do comedy. Different oh guys yeah, guys used to do comedy. They all got their chops out in New York doing comedy.
1: Yeah, I, I that, that's a great point, and to that point, I learned from when I when I wrote grounded which was i wrote it as a dark comedy now what was
0: around explain the movie
1: grounded is it, it'll be out next year it's a it's a it's a story of a kid who had a tragic accident and he's trying to get his life back together so it's, it's little miss sunshine in a wheelchair this kid's in a wheelchair he's got his maids are stealing from him his dad's smoking weed and banging hookers in the back of a house he can't get his shit together i wrote it as a dark comedy the the point i'm trying to make though is you said a lot of comedians can be dramatic it doesn't go the other way like if you could do comedy you could do drama if you can write comedy you could write drama but if you only do drama you are not funny you're usually not funny so aaron paul <clears throat> excuse me aaron paul who's a great actor from breaking bad he told me day one on the set he's like listen dude i'm not funny and he's not funny you know what i mean he's just not a funny dude and it just always it just always rings true to me that comedians can, like Robin Williams. I mean, come on, funniest guy in the world, most dramatic guy in the world.
0: I on I liked his acting better than his comedy. Yeah, his acting. I, was I'm one incredible. of the people that said I would. I mean, his comedy is, It was. I would rather watch his acting because you know. And there was I, I first saw his acting in a movie years ago called Seize the Day. Yeah. Which was like on a PBS, and he played a, a down and out salesman in maybe the 50s or 60s, and I was like. Wow, that that's different. You know, in Moscow and the Hudson. Just different stuff. I mean, oh, that's yeah. the stuff I like.
1: Yeah. Comedians can play drama, but drama drama guys can usually not do comedy. <clears throat> Every now and then you get a guy like Alec Baldwin who's very funny and, you know, can do everything. But but I, I found that very interesting. And uh Yeah, man. I'm just I'm just trying to keep the train rolling, you know? Everyone's like, You're living the dream I'm like the dream was to get laid at the Playboy Mansion. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, near the monkey cage. Did that happen? Right, right. In, it did not happen. Oh man. Yeah. And but they're, i are you know, gonna sell it soon, dude. I have, I have had some fun at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> okay. So now, now
0: I, I want to talk about your movie, My Man, as a loser, because you said that was that was when you first directed. And you said they didn't know, you know, who to direct it. When you wrote that, did you have any idea, you know, that? You know, did you know that Stamos was going to be in, I mean, did you, when, you, cause a lot of times when, they say, when people write, they they think of who would be good at this role and you know, and you're a new writer and it's something we like to dream big, yeah. but you're not going to, some people, I mean, that's a pretty big grab because Stamos yeah. is, Stamos is a rock star. Man. Rock star. I mean, totally. I mean, I mean he's a guy drummed for the Beach Boys. I yeah. mean, it's like the guy's had like the, the perfect life. I know people who know him who say he's the nicest guy. Great guy. But the thing is when you started writing, when you sat down to write this movie, Yep. Were you, was it in your mind that this is definitely going to get made, or is it something that you sat there going, you know what, this I'm not, this is going to be a good script? And then did you sit there and say, here's who I think should be in the parts, or, or did you just take it as a black screen, a blank screen and go from there?
1: I sat with the producer, so they said, we want to do a comedy. They These guys, they were out of New York, they were the finance guys, and they thought that their lives were kind of funny. So they started telling me these stories about how, and they're both married dudes. Now, how would you hook up with them? Through Doug Allen. Okay. Doug Allen, my savior. Doug, excuse me. They went to Doug to do a script. Doug was too busy. He said, you got to talk to my friend Mike Young. He's a great writer. He's funny.
0: Now, how do you know Doug?
1: I know Doug from basketball when I moved to LA. We played in the basketball league together. We met playing ball, and we just hit it off. He was, he was quitting stand-up. Doug was a stand-up. For years, before he got into entourage and all that stuff. So we were great buddies playing ball. You know, I knew his wife, all friends, blah, blah, blah. And obviously, years later, major success. But these guys knew Doug from New York. And they had gone to Doug first and said, we want you to write this thing. Doug said, I'm too busy, and you can't afford me. But you could definitely afford Mike Young. (laughs) He's a lot cheaper, and you should talk to him. So they got a hold of me through Doug I went and I met with them and they just started telling their story. And their story was basically two dudes who were married who didn't connect with their wives anymore. And I'm single. I was going through a real single period. I was engaged. I broke up with my girl, having a great single run. So I told them, I said, I'll get back to you in a week. I, have, I, have, I said, I have an idea, but let me put it on paper for you. I went away for a week. I came back and I just wrote me. I, I used my own voice as the single guy who's going to help. Get these guys back to being cool to reconnect with their wives they love the idea call my lawyer made the deal I wrote the script with my voice knowing I wasn't gonna play the lead but it's still my you know it's my comedic voice it's my single voice I wrote I, and, and I just I wrote it and I had Michael Rappaport this is weird I had his voice in my head for the role of Marty and I didn't know who uh, Paul was the other character And I just, I just, I use like a a buddy's voice, you know, that's like a funny friend. And I used his attitude in it. And so I wrote the movie knowing I was going to make this movie because the producers were like, we are making this movie. And I kept calling Doug going, are these guys part of a drug cartel? Like nobody makes a movie. Like nobody just says they're going to make a movie and then they make a movie. These guys the entire way did not balk. And so I wrote it knowing I was going to make it. I wrote it with my voice. As the single guy and then once we got to a place where everybody loved the script we literally went into pre-production and we hired a casting director and I st- I reached out through my relationship with Bob Saget from years of being on the road and being good friends I said I have a script that I want Stamos to read and I said I know it sounds crazy but we are making this movie. He got it to Stamos. Stamos called him and said, "I love this script. I love this character." He's like, "This is." He's like, "You know, Stamos is like, this is me. This is my life." Meanwhile, his life as a single person is on another level. Oh yeah, like yeah, I'm doing great being single. It's he's Stamos. got philosophies <laughs> that you don't even understand. He's
0: Stamos. He's that's, Stamos. It's like that's like you know what? He Stamos can go anywhere and get laid. So Stamos f- could go into a, a nunnery he, and get laid.
1: <laughs> he could literally flip nuns. Yeah, he oh, could, totally. Because he's he, Stamos. Yeah, and I mean. I'll give you an example. The first thing he says to me about relationships, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. First thing you got to do is you got to get the threesome out of the way so everybody knows where they stand. I said, dude, you're not even from fucking planet Earth, bro. I don't even know what you're talking about. That's crazy talk. What are you saying? He's like, yeah, it's just how I live. So I knew I had the most single dude in the world at a meeting. So – Stamos reads the script, he loves it, he comes, he meets me at a cafe on Robertson, and he walks in rockstar'd out, sunglasses, you know what I mean, perfect hair, skin just got out of a tan, you know, skin tans itself, and he comes, and he sits down, and we just start talking, and the whole time I'm just thinking, he's the guy, like, and you know, you talk to these producers and people, they're like, yeah, it doesn't have foreign value in a movie, it's all bullshit, I just said, and I met with James Marsden. I met a few other actors that were like movie guys. Stamos was the perfect dude for he just was the guy. I just said, this is the guy. He can draw from he doesn't need to stretch here. like this is him. And so I had Stamos. He was in, you know, and then they obviously they negotiate the deal, blah, blah blah. And then Michael Rapoport, um Michael Rappaport, I got the script to him because he and I had played basketball together, but he didn't remember me. So we had played ball, and I called his manager, who was also Stamos's manager. So I called him. I said, hey, man, I have a script that Stamos is doing, your, your guy's doing. Can you get this to Rappaport for the other role of Marty? Same situation. He read it. He liked it. We went and had lunch. And Rappaport's, you know, I'm like, dude, you remember me? I was a shooting guard on your basketball. He's like, <laughs> not really. I don't really remember you, but my manager keeps saying I got to meet you. So I meet him. And then, boom, now I got Stamos and Rappaport locked in my movie. And it was amazing because Rappaport's so damn funny in real life and he's just such a great character that I was able to kind of take his natural rhythms and apply them even more to the script. So I went and did another pass. I would do like a full Rappaport pass on the script. And that's kind of the beauty and that's kind of what I love about writing is when you have your actors locked in and you kind of get to know them You know, I'm sure some writer-directors are different. They just go with the script and they stick to the, you know, you follow my lead. I kind of like, especially in a comedy, when I meet a funny dude who's my guy, who's going to be my actor, I will fully write towards his voice and just make it more natural and give him, I can give him just way more to play with. So I had my two guys locked in. And then my third lead for Paul you know, we had met a bunch of other actors, and this is a this is ridiculous, but I was on the road opening for Brian Callen. So I know the whole time I'm going to be making a movie, and I'm telling people this, but I'm hesitant. I'm like, I swear to God, these guys are saying they got the money, and uh, they right. and the money is coming in. Like they're already <laughs> paying me. I'm I'm already paid for the writing part. I just it's just hard for me to believe that we're going to make a movie. So I'm on the road with Callen. We're in Miami. And I'd say to Callan after a show, I go, bro, this is going to sound crazy, but you would be perfect for the part of Paul in my movie. And he's like, come on, bro. Everybody says they make a movie. Just whatever. Email me the script tonight. I'll read it in the hotel. I I said, just read 40 pages because no one's going to read the whole script at at night. Same situation. I send the script. I email it to Callan. We meet for coffee in the morning. He's like, dude, this is incredible. I'd be great for this. I'll audition for you. I said, actually, you don't need to audition. I think I could just give you the role, and if I can convince my producers about you, then you're in. And boom, I had my three leads. And that's how that all went down. And next thing I know, money's in escrow, all in the bank. And I cast the rest of everybody I cast in New York. So I had my three leads coming from L.A., and I basically casted them as friends. And it was an amazing, amazing experience. You know, and it was... Obviously, I learned a ton because I did not know what the hell was going on.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, because once you go into directing, I mean, and it's true, I, I do think that, you know, you knew the guys and you knew they're suited for and it's your voice. So you're sitting there and I feel the same thing is if you direct, if you write something, you pretty much know how to direct it because you know exactly what it looks like to you. Totally. Now, now, true, you're in, you're new, so it's going to be weird going with someone on a Rappaport or, or a Callan or, you know, a Stamos they're going to have suggestions. You probably seen like the type that would take their suggestions because they're funny and you're a new guy. But were you shitting yourself on I mean, the first day when they went action? Were you like, Yo. what do I do, man? Because I heard, I heard the Farrelly brothers, like they directed the first movie because they didn't know what to do. They just think, they, they're like, hey, we can direct it. They're like, okay. And they're like, what are we doing though? We got a cinematographer. Because yeah. most people, you, know, you sit there and you go, you know what it looks like but you probably don't know much about. Cameras? Yeah, I, you don't know any of that crap. I said zoom.
1: I, I thought you could <laughs> zoom in. I didn't know you had to change a lens. I literally, I was like, yo, zoom in on his face. Get it. They're like, you yeah, know, we don't zoom. These are $400,000 cameras. They don't zoom. We change lenses and we go from there. So I learned, obviously, I learned a lot. Now, granted, I had, but my buddy Kevin Connolly is a director. I went and shadowed him on a couple projects. I know a few other directors. I went and studied some of their stuff. I read a couple books on directing. So I did not go in blind. But it doesn't matter what you read or who you talk to. When you get on the set, that's when it all goes down. So I really, I, it was trial. It was trial and error, trial by fire. And yes, I was shitting myself. I wasn't even shitting myself. I was eating my insides. Like, I lost like 14 pounds, and I was eating every day, all day. Like, I don't know what happened, but my nerves had eaten, eaten themselves. And so, but I played it cool. And I made sure my DP, and I knew my DP was going to be the most important dude next to me. So obviously, I got super prepared with my director of photography, who was, who was great. He's a professor of, of cinema. His name's Harlan Basmagian. And we we met every night before before the day of shooting. And we just went over our shot list, and we just got super prepared. And so, yeah, I, just, I went in as prepared as I could be. And I had a great time doing it, and I took suggestions, you know. And I, listen, I I read up on everyone. But I read Playboy's interviews with all the greatest directors, and I read all their stories. And everybody has a different style, and some directors don't take suggestions. And then there's guys like Clint Eastwood that if the grip gives him a good idea, he'll listen. So that's naturally the type of guy I am. I like people, and if somebody gives me a great suggestion, I'm totally open to it. So I just stayed flexible. And, you know, also made sure we stayed within the framework of the story. But I got got lucky and blessed and everything went great. Were there days of tension? Yes. Were there moments when Stamos made me nervous and was like, does page 22 connect to page 62? Because I looked at it yesterday and, you know, and would I really say this to a girl? And I'd have to have conversations with him where I was like, listen, John, I love you. But you don't know what a normal human has to say right. to a girl. Like you just have been famous since you were 12. you And you're the best looking guy in the world. You don't have to say anything. You should do a silent movie right. about this guy. And you'll still be great. So there were, you know, I learned so much that when it came time to do a stand-up guy, I just was able to like, boom, I just saw everything faster and I was able to just, Keep things moving quicker, and you know, and I, I could speak the language a little better, and I knew more about coverage and how to get the shot. So it's a it's a learning process, and it's like my favorite thing about this whole thing that we're involved in, and you know this from stand up, is that there's no ceiling. There's right. just no ceiling. So like then you could just keep learning and getting better and getting better, and sometimes you might be worse, but I just like that you could. There's just no ceiling, you know, to this whole thing. You know how I,
0: long how long into the movie? did you actually start getting your confidence? Because it's your first directing. I mean, I mean, it's something... It had to come apart. Because you have. I mean, as a comic, we have the insecurity. But we, you still have to have balls to get up on stage and, and own a crowd. How long till you sat there and went, you know what? Screw this shit. I'm, I'm not... I'm going to eat a sandwich. I'm going to put on a pound or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how long?
1: <laughs> I would say what, after the first week of My Man is a Loser, um, I got my confidence. I started to just see... Okay, you know, we're, we're going over, over, medium, medium. I want to get, I started to get in my rhythm and just the movie that I saw in my head was starting to play out as, the, you know, the movie that we were shooting. I would say after seven days of rigorous shooting and all day, that's when I started to get a little confidence and, you know, really just get my feet under me. And then it was like a four week shoot. And so for the next three weeks, I really just had my confidence and, you know, it's It's like you just have to be prepared for everything to happen, but just just I don't know I just I started just going in prepared, knowing what I wanted to get and just and I just kept it flowing. So I would say after one week of of real shooting all day every day, that's when I started to get more confident. and then on a stand-up guy, it was just it was a smaller budget, and I just really loved it. I almost loved the experience more because I was actually able to just breathe. I wasn't so nervous going in and you know, I just, it was just, I had more confidence and I knew what it meant to hold for the actors. Like, my man is a loser. I kept cutting. I'm like, cut. Okay, let's do it again. I didn't re- I didn't even know. No one told me, you can just say, hold, give me that again. Yeah, I was burning film left right. and right. I was wasting money. <laughs> so it was a first film, amazing learning experience. It came out great. I thank God. And, you know, everybody just did a great job and I couldn't be happier that it's out and, you know, doing pretty well, and then on a stand-up guy, it just became an easier thing to manage.
0: Well, stand-up guy dropped Friday? No, Tuesday.
1: Came out Tuesday. Last Tuesday. Yep.
0: Okay, so now you said at your premiere, you met people who sat there and the first premiere and wanted you to do this movie. Yep. Now, had you already had a script in mind when you were sitting there? I mean, because you seem like you're trying to keep in advance. Like, you seem like, I mean, I'm sure when you're directing and after the directing, you have to do what gets in all the editing and then all the crap. Like, I had Sean Ryan from The Shield. Said yeah. When, when his show wrapped, yep. you know, everybody's gone like the last time, everybody's gone for like two weeks. Yep. The actors go first. And this goes, but you're the last one to leave. Absolutely. So you're Absolutely. But when you were, when you left your, that movie before a stand up guy. Were you ready? Did you already have the the project in your pocket that you wanted to make, or did you have to sit there and wait till someone said, eh, you know, because you, you you did the first. It was a people. You had a great cast. I mean, what happened?
1: I had it in the pocket. I actually had this idea of a gangster going into witness protection. Um, I had it in my mind for a lot of years because, as you know, stand up comedy is like can be a dangerous job. Okay, so you're out on the road, you're alone, and unfortunately, I've had a couple incidents. In my comedy career, and I've been doing comedy thir- 14, 15 years now. I got sp- I got jumped after a show in West Palm, and a guy beat me up, and I had some wild things happen to me on the road. And then I read that book uh, I Killed, and it's about all Seinfeld, Tim Allen, Slayton, all those guys. It- it's their lives on the road, and you see a lot of them have been in fights and dangerous situations. Shit goes down on the road. And I I Killed was that Schneider. I think, no. it, I think it was.
0: Yeah, he, he, he has some great yeah. stories. That guy's got
1: some crazy stories. They got stories. some stories. I mean, Sandler even like was in there with uh, his guy who was on that Dennis Leary show. They beat up a guy one night in a bar. Like, shit goes down. Comedy is a dangerous business, okay? Because you're alone. You're on the road. You make people laugh. Guys get jealous. Girls like you. Shit happens. So I always had this idea because I got beat up after a show in West Palm, and I also had a scary incident. After another show where I got into it with a guy and he turned out to be a really bad dude and he came after me with some guys and I don't want to get into too much detail of it, but let's just say police were involved. It was like, it was high level Sh- shit was going on. Like this guy was like connected to real people and he- they came at me and I always had this idea in my mind. If I had to go into witness protection because shit got serious for a minute, I ha- if I had to go... When I just quit comedy, I'm like, I always had this thought. Like, if I ever just had to hide, do I just quit what I love? That was just the seed of the idea. That's all I had. And then I just, I knew there was like a movie idea in this, but I hadn't written the script. So after My Man is a Loser premiere, Danny A, the actor who is now starring in my movie, who's in a stand-up guy with Rappaport and Bob Saget, he called me and said, you got any ideas for a comedy like a you know we love what you did i'm thinking about doing a comedy i got the money for it and danny it was so crazy because he's like a brooklyn kid and i just i pitched him that idea i said what about a gangster that goes into witness protection and he starts doing stand-up on a bet yeah i I flipped the uh, the original idea i didn't make it like the dark version of what i originally had that's just where the seed of the idea was born but he called me and he said, "Do you have any ideas?" And this was the thing in my pocket that was kind of burning that I wanted to do. And so he he liked the pitch, he bought the script, and just like my first movie, he hadn't locked me in as director yet. He was kind of waiting. And then once the script was done and he was happy, they made the directing deal, and I got to write this idea that I've just had for a long time and just loved because. Comics can relate. And it was kind of my ode to comedy, kind of like my homage to like, I always think comedy is the most gangster art form that there is. And this idea was burning. And when Danny came to me, I said, here's the idea. He hired me. I wrote it. Next thing I know, boom, we're in pre-production again.
0: And you you're, you know you're going to direct. So, I know. So the,
1: yeah. I knew I was locked in as the director eventually. And boom, that, that just, once, once they tell you that, then you're just, your juices get flowing and you just, the creative... Heads start spinning and you put your team together. And I went out and got these amazing actors that I'm so lucky to work with again. You know, Rappaport's in it. Ethan Suplee, who's great for My Name is Earl. How did? Yeah, how did? Yeah.
0: How did, so how did you go about getting these guys? I mean, I could see Rappaport because I think it's like anything. He was in your first, you know, your one gig. And mm-hmm. that's like anything. Like, you see, it's like, it's so funny when you watch it. You talked about Sandler and I talked about Buscemi. Whenever you watch a Sandler movie, Steve Buscemi's been in every one of them even and playing like the, the the weirdest ass character like yeah starting from when billy madison where he is the sniper you totally. know totally but as he's gone on you know you see him on boardwalk empire and he's this crazy guy then you see a Santa movie and he's he'll, he's like an elf you know what <laughs> i mean like like <laughs> totally. the word shit so i mean i think and i think because they do have a background you com- said Rappaport didn't really do comedy
1: but no but actually he did he tried to do stand-up when he was a kid he did he? Yeah, plus, he did.
0: Plus, plus his his sort of like his his stepdad, stepdad. is Mark Lana. Yeah, yeah. He, so he he's, he's been around comedy. So I think, and that's the thing. Same thing we about good comics. I think comics remember that. It's like because you know they still sort have of fun. And you mentioned Stamos earlier. A friend of mine said, you know, Stamos is just one of those guys. He never has to work again. But if yeah. he if he hears something that he just thinks is going to be fun, he'll do it.
1: Exactly. He's that kind of guy. And you find that most artists like. Most of these really, the actors, like they, they have to respond to the material. Unless they're somebody that's just like kind of like going through a financial situation and they just need money. That happens too. But I like the guys that are like that respond to the material and go, yo, let's do this. This will be fun. And that's what I was fortunate enough that happened on a stand up guy. So again, Rappaport read the script. He was only in a small role because he didn't have time for his schedule. So I knew I only had him for a couple of days. So I just wrote as much funny shit as I could for him in that two days. And he plays a hilarious small-town sheriff. He plays the sheriff in the town that the guy goes into witness protection in. So it was great. I got him. And Ethan Suplee, I've known for years through mutual friends. And he plays a marshal. And Ethan is just like a a super talented actor. And I basically called him. I said, listen, man, we're going to shoot this in New York. If you're available... I got a great role for you. You're gonna play a marshal who's a corrupt marshal, and I want you to just play the soul of Nick Nolte. That's what I said. Like just the, you know, the dirty 48-hour Nick Nolte. You know, just like <laughs> filthy. You're tired. You're drunk, and he came, and he just came tired, and he killed it. And so I knew him from a relationship, uh, just for years of, fr- you know, mutual friends. And Danny A, who is my lead actor in this. He knows a lot of the same people, too. So he was able to make some phone calls and get some great actors in there. Um, I mean, at one point, he had me on the phone with Sofia Vergara. She was going to play the, the the Mexican prostitute <laughs> that the marshal gets together with. But her schedule got mixed up, so we got Lucila uh, Solas, who's a great actress, and she did it. But, you know, you, you, you go for your relationships and your friendships and the people you respect, and you know you can... Have a great rapport with, and you know they're going to deliver for you. And then once you tap that out, then you go into regular casting.
0: Now, have you gotten Saget because of your relationship with him?
1: Totally, yeah. Saget, the same thing. I had this ridiculous role for you know when he's in the program, he's in a country town, so and he's at an open mic spot, like a you know just a dirty you know junkyard dog open mic place. So I thought wouldn't because Saget already is a great. He actually plays guitar, obviously in his in his set. And so I, I developed a character named Mel who's heartbroken, and at all the open mics, he just sings songs about stalking his girl, getting her back, what's going to happen when he gets, you know, these ridiculously dark songs, sent the script to Saget, and he was in. And he's like, I'm in. And all of a sudden, I got Saget calling me at one in the morning, rehearsing on the phone. You know, how's this sound? Never saw myself as a stalker, you know. So it was super cool, man. It was it was really cool.
0: And you got Was Stevens.
1: Was? Do you know
0: Was? I don't know. I just I just know him. I I know him from I, I watched that show on T N T. Public morals. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I got him because he just he looks familiar and he he just he the the part he plays because I grew up back east. So yeah, you know he the part he plays. He just looks like he's that guy. Like that, that gruff, and my girlfriend's Italian, so you know, the, the whole thing, and I I, you know, and he just looks like that guy, and he's just one of those guys, I'm like, but he lives in New York.
1: Yeah, he is that guy. I don't know if you know about Wasp, but first, so Was was friends with Stamos. Wasp was in my first movie. He's in My Man is a Loser. I met him because he is like the most famous doorman in New York City. He's the guy. You go to a club, Was is at the door in a full fur coat, probably making 10000 a night cash from people that need to get in. <laughs> So he's legend Stamos introduced me to him and Stamos was like dude he's a great actor you got to you got to hire him as an actor so he did a great job in my man is a loser i called him again for a stand up guy and he's great so was is like he is that guy he's a legend but he's not italian he's jewish Okay, well, let's see. Yeah, well, he's I, like Jewish hood. He's, I see, like, he's like me. Like I, used, I used to
0: do a bit about that in my act years ago. About I grew up in a Jewish town, and I said they were Jewish guidos. Yeah. And I got a whole thing, you know, like the gold, the chain with the gold star. Like, just everything was different. But, yeah, but that's very similar because we, they're like, yeah, so. Cut from the same cloth. Yeah, for exactly. Sure. Oh, yeah, totally. So, now, now, why do you always choose to shoot in New York?
1: You know, I just got lucky my last two movies because a stand-up guy, uh, My Man is a Loser, the producers were from New York. They wanted to be around home. We could have shot that thing anywhere, but we were they were willing to spend the money. It's obviously a little more expensive, but you do get the tax rebates. And I was just like so lucky to be able to shoot in New York City, my first movie. It was unbelievable. And then when I wrote a stand up guy, I wrote it as a Brooklyn mobster is going into the program. So first choice is to do New York. We looked at we looked at Atlanta. We looked at New Orleans and it wasn't really that much more we weren't gonna save that much more money by going and my guys were, were from some of them were from New York and they just said, you know what, we're doing New York. Obviously the budget was a little smaller, so like my accommodations weren't as great. I was in a tiny studio apartment freezing and I'm not complaining, but in Brooklyn? In uh no, our office was in Dumbo in Brooklyn, but my apartment was uh upper or middle midtown, like to our twenty sixth and or it was in Chelsea, actually. I forgot. It was in Chelsea, next to a bunch of flower shops. I went home and sneezed every night. But so I just got lucky on my first two movies to shoot in New York. It wasn't really by any major design, you know. Being from Detroit, I want to go back and shoot in Detroit. You know, I want to go home and shoot something. But New York was incredible. I mean, there's just it just it's the best city.
0: Now, now, how do you prepare yourself for the premiere? Because the bottom line is, it's it's not like you're just a director. It's not like you're just a writer. No. It's your both. And you yeah, have the cameo, but you have to do the cameo because everyone does a cameo. It, it, if, you don't, if you don't, if you write and direct a movie and you, you don't make do a cameo, you're sort of a dick. I mean, Dude, it's like you're you, you, you have to be in it. I mean, Scorsese's been doing them forever. Yeah. You know, he just, and he's his mom. He puts his mom in him. You have to do that. Now, what is it like when you're sitting there? When did, when did the movie, was there a premiere?
1: Yes. Tuesday, the day it came out, we had a major premiere at the Arclight Theater. So we had a sold out 250 seat theater at the Arclight. My family flew in. My mom, my brother, my sister-in-law, my friends from Detroit came out. It was like a big thing. So obviously, I was a nervous wreck. Everyone's like, aren't you excited? This is the biggest day. You should be so proud. But I am a neurotic Jew in my core DNA. And I'm also nervous that, you know, what if they don't laugh at the right parts? I've already, We already did a few screenings, so I already knew the movie was playing pretty well. And I knew people were getting it. But you know it's L.A. and you got different people, and they're like kind of you. You might get some like stuck-up people that don't want to. The, li- the hipster they, they, bullshit. Like they
0: are like, oh, that would never happen. And you're like, shut up.
1: Yeah, yeah, shut the fuck up. This is a comedy. Sit back, turn your brain off, enjoy the comedy for what it is. I'm, you know, this is it's just a comedy. Don't let's not talk character development today, right, Mister Do with a fucking man <laughs> bun. All right, go write your weird critique. So obviously the premiere goes down, and I am definitely nervous and. You know, we sold the film to a company called The Orchard. So The Orchard is there, and they give a speech in the beginning, you know. Thank you for coming. We're very excited about this movie. And they turn the, then they give the mic to me. And so it's just me. And 15 years of stand-up, I get on stage no problem, no nerves. I mean, i still a little nervous, but, like, no big deal. But at my premiere, right. I'm basically shaking, <laughs> you know. And I'm just talking. I just have a beat sheet of names that I don't want to forget. I start rambling, I thank, you know, Danny, Michael Rappaport, Bob Saget. I thank everybody. Of course, I forget to thank, like, two of the main producers. And I don't sit and watch the movie with everybody. The lights go down. I go to the back side of the Arclight Theater, and I just stand the whole time. And I pace. Because I, I just, I know it's my baby, so I know every damn word that is coming out. And I just, I'm already predicting the laughs, and I'm, I'm just psycho during this moment and you know like I said I've read about every one of my favorite directors and writers they all go through the same thing they rarely ever watch their movies again and so you know we got past the premiere and I'm and it went great people really dug the movie and the same day of the premiere the movie came out and we are one week exactly one week later and we were number one on iTunes in action comedies going into the weekend and it's, so far, it's been a really cool run. And are there moments I wish I could fix in the movie? Absolutely. Am I 100% happy? I'll never be. Do you lose creative battles, even when you're the director and the writer? Yes. The guys who have the money are the ultimate guys. That's You know what I mean? Like I think Scorsese is the only director that actually has actual final cut, other than like Spielberg, maybe. And maybe. I don't even know. But, you know, you, you fight. So hard for everything that you want to win and make it in the movie, and and you gotta let it go. And so we made the movie, we sold the movie, it's doing great. I'm very proud and like I know I'm lucky. And uh, that's it. You gotta let it out into the to the world and just let see what happens because otherwise you will go insane and. Be too attached.
0: Now, do you have another project in mind now? Now that you've gotten this done?
1: I do. I do have a couple projects. Um, I was hired uh already to write a nut a drama actually, a drama, and we may shoot it in New York. It looks like, but it's um, so this is a film and it's about a gangster that ran the garment district in the 1970s in New York. So in New York in the 70s, and you would know, you probably know this from being from Philly and the trucking industry. But in the 70s in New York, you couldn't move a button, a zipper, a piece of material without going through the mob. The mob ran Garment District. They ran women's dresses in New York City. And so the number one gangster who ran the whole thing, the rabbi of the Garment District, his name was Sid Lieberman. And he ran it for the Gambino family and the Lucchese family. And his son got a hold of me through a friend and said, I want to tell the story of my father. And so he got a They have a film company out in New York, and they hired me to write it. And I just, I love the story, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the cave as we speak, 90 pages in. So that's going to be my next film. And then on the TV side, I'm, believe it or not, I'm, I I got brought in to write something for Kanye West, (laughs) who I've never met, right? So I'm writing a comedy. I'm writing Entourage set in the world of hip hop for Kanye's people. And I've never met Kanye, but we have a deal at Warner Brothers, and I'm writing right now. I'm We're going to pitch. Warner Brothers is the studio for us, and we're going to go to the networks and start pitching. So I'm in the cave. I'm busy, you know, just sweating over the computer, getting dandruff on my eyebrows, you know, just dehydrated.
0: Will you direct the uh, Mob movie, you know, or has that not come up yet?
1: It has come up, and they say yes, but we'll see when it goes down you know i i I absolutely want to direct it i'm writing it as if i am directing it i'm writing it visually and i'm writing it sort of you know as if we are going to shoot this so it's not something that needs to be sold it's already they say we're making it just like the last one i I believe them and uh i think i will direct it and i hope i do because it's such a it's such an interesting world man it's so i got a place to stay in new
0: york if you need you know like a, a, a sleazy uh do you? A sleazy actor. My brother lives in Midtown. I can I can stay if you need any help. If you need if you need an actor. Come on. I, I can play I can play a role. Come on, so just, bro. You, you'd, be a, <laughs> yo, you'd be a talk show host. <laughs> yeah. They had him go. in the
1: seventies. <laughs> there you go. So now the comedy, you said you're playing at the Brea this weekend? Yeah, this week I'm in, me and Saget, we're doing okay. Brea improv. Yep. Now
0: now, are you still doing stand up at all or is this just every once in a while and I feel like do you feel like you lost your edge a little bit just because uh, you're not doing it?
1: I absolutely lost a little bit of my edge while of stand up while I was directing because in my mind, I said, I'm going to direct, and then at nighttime, I'm going to get on stage no matter what. Like, I'm definitely – but I was so exhausted after directing that I could not get on stage. My brain was gone. And so ever since post-production, the last probably five months, I've been back working the stand-up muscle again. So I'm, I'm, I'm loving it, and I'm finally, like, cracking through some new material. So I am back feeling good on stage. So I'm not, I'm not giving up stand-up. It's just something I love. It's my first love probably out of all this and until they just say you're not funny anymore and you're done, I'm just I'm gonna keep doing stand up and I hope to you know, just keep riding it out. Now
0: do you perform during the week at certain places? You're still hitting the Comedy Store. Where 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 can people find you to do stand up? If uh, besides Bray, but like if they're just singing. Hey, yeah, come we. to the Comedy Store
1: this Thursday night. I don't know if this probably won't be out by Thursday. Yeah, you'll you'll, you'll oh, play well, uh, tomorrow. What Wednesday? Oh great, yeah, Thursday night. I'm at the Comedy Store in the main room. We're doing a big show there. Me, crystalia Um, it's it's a good lineup. I can't. Uh, Morgan Murphy, I think, is on the lineup. So yeah, I'm at the Comedy Store in L.A. And I'm at the I'm at the Improv and Laugh Factory, all the regular spots. So, yeah, you can just find me and come come check me out. You know, the comedy store, you call in your spots on Monday. They give you your schedule on Tuesday. Sometimes you get these weird spots. It's like, I've done two movies already. I got a deal with Kanye. I'm still getting a midnight damn spot right. at the comedy <laughs> store. It's like, who do I need to talk to to get a quality spot over there? So it's just, that's, that's, that's the irony of our business, and that's, that's this comedy store. But yeah, I I love stand up and I I can't wait to be on stage.
0: Well, make sure Kanye pays you because he's fifty three million dollars in debt.
1: I, I I'm gonna tell Kanye, listen, bro, if we get a hit show, I'm helping you out. Like, right. <laughs> I'm gonna get your money back. That's my my dream brain is like, Kanye, I'll get you out of this debt. You can, if you have a hit TV show, you could do really well. But we'll we'll see what happens with that. You know, I've been developing it for a while with them. I go through like one of his guys. And I literally haven't met Kai. I don't even need. To, I don't care if I meet him or not. I just want to try to make a hit show and put his name on it, and and see where it flies.
0: Now, for your next movie, do you want to have a bigger role in the casting?
1: Do you already have
0: ideas who you're going to use for your movie? Who you would like to use?
1: Um, I do. It's an older, you know, Sid. the 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 lead is an older guy. He's in his 60s. So in my mind, I've got like these, you know, uh, just old, you know lower de Niro's age in my, in my dream brain I'm going after you know the de Niro's, John Voight's, Pacinos that right. in my dream brain that's probably not gonna work right. so then I gotta start to think of other casts but yeah I hope to have some some uh you know great cast in there and you know I don't see Stamos playing a 60 year old Jewish gangster in the no. uh, yeah you know I mean? <laughs> he's just he you can't ugly him up you just can't do it there's uh, not a there's not a makeup artist yeah, in Hollywood. I, like, you know, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank uh, you. Now, no, give all your uh, give all your stuff. Give all your stuff. Okay. Let me see. I'm the worst social media guy, but I'm getting better. On Twitter, you follow me at RealMikeYoung. On Instagram, The Real Mike Young. My podcast, which is called Stories That Need to Be Told. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, all that, and play it. Stories That Need to Be Told, Mike Young. And uh, go watch A Stand-Up Guy. I promise you, you will be entertained. It's out on iTunes and on Amazon. And uh, just, you know, have a night in and enjoy a a fun comedy with some heart. And your website is MikeYoungComedy.com. I have a website, MikeYoungComedy.com. Every day, every time I need something done, I have to call a guy in Philly. He really is in Philly. I, I don't even know how to work my own website. It yeah, yeah. happens, man. So, anyway, so people follow him. Go see the movie.
0: Go see the movie, a stand up guy. And yeah, just, you know, you go, go buy it. You know, it's not, I mean, what's it cost? On-
1: Five bucks to rent, $12 yeah. to buy. Go buy the movie. I promise you, this will be something that you will have a lot of laughs. And there are there's so many moments. You know, I'm a fan of like the old Mel Brooks stuff. You know, so he always had these moments that you talked about, comedy moments. So I'm hoping people, and they are already are talking about these little moments in the movie, and it's just a fun cast, great uh, guys. That's it, good. Well, it, enjoy good. it. Well, check it out,
0: people. Please check it out. Also, I'll follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. It's at Cooper Talk. I'll Go to my website, CooperTalk.net. I have got 475 episodes up. You can email me, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. I'll get back to you. iTunes, Stitcher, Cooper Talk, Always search one word. If you have a, a cell phone or tablet that's Android, go to the Google Play Store. There's a Cooper Talk app. Uh, also go to CafeValet.com. Cafe, C-A-F-E-V-A-L-E-T.com. Get their starter kits. Regularly 25 bucks. Type in Cooper. It's 20 bucks. And go to my other website, StopTheSalt.com. My low sodium cookbook after I got out of the hospital. I wrote that. It's an easy cookbook. There's no pictures to intimidate you. No major list of ingredients. So buy that. You can get it on on uh, Amazon or Barnes Noble. But if you get it, at StopTheSalt.com. I make more money. And then I will also sign it for you. That's what it's about. So go check out the movie, A Stand-Up Guy. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. And I will talk to you guys next week.